There's an exclusive offer available for Jesus Calling readers at Lifeway. Buy a select Jesus Calling product and purchase Jesus Always for only $5. Visit Lifeway.com for details. Your shame tells you you are unlovable, unforgivable, and unchangeable. I mean, just you are. That's shame. And so you begin to self-destruct because you don't deserve anything good. That's the biggest lie out of out of hell. I mean, that is the biggest lie because God values us. And and you know what? This this was kind of not a new revelation to me, but a new truth that, that just grabbed me about not even a year ago. And you know, every preacher, every evangelist, every pastor will say this to you every maybe every Sunday in some way that Jesus died for your sins. Well, hallelujah, he did die for my sins. I knew that. But he also died for my shame. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. This week's guests have learned that God can take us to places we're meant to go and move us out of places we were never meant to be. Founder of Auntie Anne's Pretzels, Ann Byler, and former QVC host, Nancy Hicks. First up, Ann Byler grew up thinking if she did everything right, she'd be loved by her family and God. She went about her life being the good girl, marrying the right man, and all seemed to be going according to plan until a fateful Sunday morning when her daughter was killed in an accident on her family farm. Anne's formula for perfect living didn't translate to this situation, and she descended into a pit of despair. But instead of letting others see her pain, she threw herself into pretending everything was okay, which began a cycle of secrets that would nearly destroy her marriage and her life. Hello, my name is Ann Byler, and first and foremost, I love being um, a, a mom, and I love being a wife and a grandma to four kids. Uh, I grew up in an Amish home in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. The other part of my life that is significant is the I'm the founder of Auntie Anne's Soft Pretzels, and when that um, uh, began to formulate for us, we had no idea that we would go from one little farmer's market store to um, selling anti-hand soft pretzels around the world in 24 countries and 48 states with about 18 or 1900 locations today. Um, growing up in the Amish and Mennonite culture, everything um, back in the day for me was black and white. They wear black clothing and uh, the women wear black and the men wear black suits and white shirts. So, I mean, it's literally uh, black and white. So it's really a culture of there's there are no gray areas, particularly in the outward appearance of the, the culture. And um, so as a little girl, I remember clearly if you did something wrong in the church, you were asked to make a public confession in front of the whole church, and typically it was something against the order of the church, um, or it could have been what they would have seen as a biblical sin big enough to to make that kind of confession. But I remember as a little girl that that, that was always, um, it's ingrained in my mind, um, and I decided that I would never do anything too bad, uh, that I would have to stand up in front of the whole congregation to confess it. And my theology by the time I was uh, a teenager and on into my young married life was that life is good and God is harsh. Meaning if I keep all the Ten Commandments, do the best that I can, and really be a good girl, then God would be pleased with me. And certainly my parents would be pleased with me as well. 
And um, that was a kind of a subliminal message that I had in my heart and my mind. I grew up with the idea uh, to, I mean, as a little Amish girl, you grow up wanting to have your very own family. That was my goal. I never thought about a career or owning my own business or that was way out of, I would never have thought about that. So marrying at the age of 19, my husband was 21. By then we um, were introduced to the charismatic phenomenon that was going on in the late 60s, early 70s. And out of that, we built a church out in the middle of nowhere called Victory Chapel. And from one year to the, within a few years, we had about a thousand people going to that little church. And uh, so life was exciting. Life is good. God is pleased. And I'm on my way to win the whole world. Um, and uh, so it was uh, intentional on my part, but it was also what I wanted to be. I, I wasn't pretending. It's just what I wanted to be. And so I have really pretty much accomplished that and understanding God's grace and God's love. And, you know, we're not perfect and all those things. I got that. My daughter, Angela Joy, was killed on a on a Monday morning, a beautiful fall, September morning. My sister, who was working for my dad, was driving a bobcat, and we all lived on the same farm. So we were always out and about, and the kids were always running to Grandma's house. And that particular morning, when um, my sister was driving the bobcat, she didn't see Angie behind her, and uh, she turned the bobcat to go forward again. She saw Angie's body in front of the bobcat. As Angie made her quick descent into the arms of Jesus, uh, I began my very slow and gradual descent into a life of emotional uh, confusion and just um, spiritual um, emotional pain and spiritual confusion. Early on in my pain, I I, I was struggling for the answers. Like, wh where do I go from here? in my moments of deep grief and sadness, and I just want to see Angie again. I just want to hold her. I just want to be a happy family again. I want it to be the way it was. Impossible. So what do I do with that? Well, we don't understand, so we ask questions. And in my, in my desperation and deep grief, my husband and I began to really fall apart emotionally. My husband is very quiet, and I, I'm pretty verbal, but after a month or two of deep grief, both of us were quiet, and I found myself just crying alone in my bedroom. I was embarrassed that I was feeling bad. I'm still feeling sad. <laughs> uh, you know, if you were really a good Christian, you'd be victorious. You'd be overcoming. You'd be, you know, you would be over this by now. But instead, I was not over it, and I began to pretend like everything was all right. And by the end of about five months, Jonas and I were totally disconnected, of course, stayed together. Um, but no communication. And I went to see my pastor at that time, uh, desperate for help. And I'd never gone for counseling of any kind ever, because remember, my life was pretty good and never needed any extra help. So when I went to see my pastor that day, uh, before I left his office, he took advantage of me physically. I didn't know anything about pastoral sexual abuse. I didn't know anything about abuse of power. I, I didn't even know anything about abuse. That sounds silly, but... I didn't. I, I didn't understand. But what I knew when I walked away was that he did something that was very wrong. And then instead of blaming him, I, I, I just assumed that I did something wrong. So my response to all of that 
which I take complete responsibility for, is that I made a decision and I made a choice that day that I'm going to keep a secret. I will never tell anyone what he did to me. And that secret then held me hostage to him for six years. And I was in an abusive relationship in every way, manipulative in every way, um, for six long silent years, a little over six years, never saying anything to anyone. And I found myself believing that God truly is harsh. I must have done something wrong. I was falling apart from the inside out. And the reason is, is because I was keeping a secret. Secrets leave you powerless, keep you in a place of darkness, um, keep you defeated. You will never rise above the secret completely. You will never be free, even though you are a believer and you're free in Christ. These secrets, the darkness inside of us, does not allow us to live in freedom. And after six years of silence, during those years, there were three forms of confession that I realized that that I began to understand. Number one was the power of the bedside prayers. One form of confession is what all of us do as believers. It's our privilege. It's what we do because we can, we may. It's our connection to God. The second form of confession is the journaling, which I began to do. And when I began to journal, I realized, wow, the inside of me scared me. Like, is this really the way I feel? But I wasn't making it up. It was all inside of me coming out of flowing out of my pen onto the paper. And I'm like, wow. But the third form of confession is found in James 5.16. It's what I call the one to another confession. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another and you will be healed. That's not bedside prayer. That's not journaling. That's from one person to the other. If you do that, you'll be healed relationally. And my problem was not spiritual connection with Jesus, although that was waning, it was weakening. But my problem was relational problems between my husband, my children, my family, my friends, my business partners. I I was not okay. And that was my problem. I was not able to be open and honest about my life. So when Jesus said to me, get up off your knees, And go tell your husband what your life is all about right now. Um, I'd rather keep praying. I just want to keep praying. Lord, I'll just keep journaling. I mean, please, I cannot tell him. And God said, get up off your knees and go tell your husband what you're involved in. But I had no idea what the result would be. Because when you do the one to another confession, it's not about predicting an outcome. It's simply about confessing. A wrongdoing. That was the hardest thing I had ever done in my life. God gave me courage that day. Without that one single confession, there would be no Auntie Anne's today. That sounds silly, but I know that. That's how dark it was for me. That's how desperate I was. That's how sick I was. We don't know the difference between truth and lies in our head. But the power of confession, when I say that to you, it's, it's a powerful truth. 
but let me tell you that that's where it starts and that's where it started for me to be able to tell someone what is going on in my life and then Jonas was my confession guy he I had to confess him but then God brought other people to me that I was able to unload all of it on and over time the one to another confession set me free confession can change the trajectory of your entire life and your family and that's the reason I wrote this book because I understand the power of secrets and the path that you find yourself on in secrets it's like I had to experience all this pain so that I could be compassionate with those who are suffering in our world today. And God gave me a pretzel first, and then he gave me a platform to share my story for his glory. I would encourage people to kind of like get outside your box of, of outside of your little community, outside of your, you know, the way you've always thought 20 years after Angie was killed. I finally ended up going for counseling. I was in the middle of the success of Auntie Anne's. And my husband at that time, the, the abuse led me to affairs and crazy behavior. And, you know, the guilt and the shame of all of that. Guilt says I, I did something wrong. Shame says I am something wrong. So in our pain, we believe lies. It was all my fault. The way my kids behaved, the way my husband treated me, the way blah, blah, everybody. It was all my fault. But we need to... We need to go to someone that can speak truth to us. And as they speak truth to us, we begin to have new thoughts. I promise you, there is somebody that will help you, that will listen to you. Go to someone that will listen. When our pain is too deep and it's too dark, we cannot sex it away. We can't drug it away. We can't take it up with pharmaceutical drugs to make the pain go away. We can't work it away. We can't exercise it away. We can't eat it away. We can't even minister it away. I mean, we do all of these things to be busy. The best part of my day is just me spending time with Jesus. I'm older now. I can. I'm not saying that the young moms and the busy executives can can do this every day. But the point is, I like who I am. I love the fact that Jesus, he loves me as if I as if I had never done anything wrong. And I can sit down with my Jesus calling and my Bible or just in silence and let him let him love on me. That, that's the best part of my day. And, and that's where he wants us to be. The, the, the world has robbed us of being in connection with God by doing works for God. But but society, culturally, it's hard for us to be. But we can. We can actually be. <laughs> we can. So what I what I know today with um, seven decades of life, real life's experiences, is that life is hard. God is good. And I'm not confused. So when there are tragedies, when there's pain, even my, in my own life, when things don't make sense, when I feel um, decisions that are tough and don't always things don't always turn out the way I prayed for or believed that they should turn out, that that's my go-to. Life is hard. God is good. 
you can find Anne's book, The Secret Lies Within, wherever books are sold. Stay tuned to Nancy Hicks' story after a brief message about a beautiful new edition of Jesus Calling that's a perfect way to celebrate the Easter season. Motherhood. It's a journey like no other, teeming with love, unparalleled dedication, and moments that pierce the very essence of your soul. It's a trek that demands to be celebrated, lauded, and embraced in its entirety. Celebrate the moms in your life this Mother's Day with two beautiful gift books, Jesus Calling for Moms by Sarah Young and Grace for the Moment for Moms by Max Licato. These heartfelt devotionals will remind the moms in your life just how special they are. Jesus Calling for Moms and Grace for the Moment for Moms are available now where all books are sold. During times of transition and unknown next steps, it's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for our special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com. The Easter season is filled with joy and hope. Now, there's a new way to focus on the holiday with the new book, Jesus Calling for Easter. With 50 Jesus Calling devotions selected just for the Lent and Easter season, Jesus Calling for Easter includes scripture verses alongside breathtaking imagery and exquisite design. Jesus Calling for Easter makes a stunning gift for those who love Jesus Calling and would like a new way to observe the Easter season. To learn more about this beautiful new edition of Jesus Calling, please visit jesuscalling.com books. Nancy Hicks was a spokesperson at the on-air retailer QVC, where she inspired millions of viewers and folks behind the camera to embrace simple beauty and joys in life. Yet the road that took Nancy to this place was filled with twists and turns and ultimately led her to obedience as to where God wanted her to be. And it wasn't exactly where she had planned to go. Today, Nancy is grateful for that journey. And now she's an inspirational communicator who wants to share how we can all learn how to hear God's call in our life, as she describes in her book, Meant to Live. So my name is Nancy Hicks, and I started a ministry called Nancy Hicks Live. I'm from Canada, which is kind of fun. I've lived in the U.S. for 20 years, and I have two sons who are grown, been married for 29 years to my incredible husband, Cam. Um, I've been in communication all my life and started as a singer on the stage, moved into television with QVC for over a decade, and then started this ministry, but always a leader in the church, then started this ministry, Nancy Hicks Live, to raise up women all around the world. I grew up uh, in a Christian family, sort of, pseudo, um, at least nominal. My father said he was a believer, but he, he certainly didn't act like one. There was no fruit, um, uh, but my mother was a non-believer. And so one day my dad said, there were three girls and I'm the littlest of three. One day my dad said, I want to take the children to church. And my mom said, fine, but don't bring that garbage home to me. 
And, uh, and, and, and another part of the story that's really important is that my mom remembers thinking, and in fact, told me my whole life, this poor little thing, Nancy, she's, she's slow. Uh, in addition, I was nonverbal, which is hilarious if you know me and that I've gotten paid to speak my whole life. But the story is that the day my father took the three girls to church, took me to church, I came home, and this is my mom's testimony, in fact, I came home not just speaking, but singing about Jesus, like lit up. My mom said, Nancy, you were lit up like a Christmas tree. And my mom remembers thinking, what's gotten into this little girl, my little girl? And she was so intrigued by that, she followed me to church. And there she learned that God was not mad at her, which she had thought he was, um, but in fact loved her and she gave her life to Christ. By the time I was three, I was already singing. I mean, my heart was full of joy and I loved Jesus. My mother would put me on a little chair in a nursing home and take me out to serve and sing to the grandmas and the grandpas. And so by the time I was a young, I don't know, around 10 or so, I remember winning my first competition, vocal competition, and there were people coming around me in the church and in the community and at my school just kind of moving me along. So I was singing. I sang for Queen Elizabeth when I was a teenager. I studied voice performance when I was a teenager, so private lessons, and then I went and studied, got my degree in voice performance from the University of Toronto. In my mind, all I wanted to do was sing, and I sang professional musical theater and a lot of concert work all across Canada. I um, had my children, and I remember traveling to the, uh, going to the theater uh, matinee evening, matinee evening on the weekends and feeling like, how can this be? I would cry all the way to the theater. And I remember thinking, how can it be that I am doing the very thing professionally, the very thing I've always wanted? And I'm crying about this <laughs> because I'm leaving my two boys and my husband at home. I think there was also this desire, though I always wanted to sing, this desire to have a family that was really whole. So when we moved, we actually ended up moving to the U.S. And um, and I really sensed that it was too difficult for me to continue the the uh, eight shows a week of theater. Plus, frankly, when I moved to the U.S., I couldn't work. You know, these are things. And my husband was working. And I came to realize that God was having me turn right and this is a whole other story in and of itself, but QVC had heard, there were a couple of key QVC people at an event I was singing at, and I was sensing God was moving me out of my music, but I was like, where am I going here? And at the end of this one event that I was singing at, I sensed the Lord saying, continue to use the gift to honor me, but you may not be auditioning and doing these things, just continue to honor me with the gift. And so then uh, I remember at the end of the evening that I was singing, a couple of QVC people came up to me at the end and said, you need to be on QVC. Now, QVC is the world's largest multi-platform retailer. I did apply and I did uh, have this long drawn out process of, uh, of becoming an on-air spokesperson for them, style expert. It happened. I loved it. Day one at QVC, I said to my husband, God's up to something. I know it. He's like, honey, just enjoy the process. I said, I will, but I am telling you, uh, God is up to something. I know him and he's doing something. 
if you call yourself a follower of Christ, you don't get to pick whether or not <laughs> you get to be a minister of the gospel, whether you're in ministry. You're, everything is ministry. Everything we do, volunteer work, you know, you're hanging out with your neighbors, you're hanging out at the pool this summer, whatever, um, working for pay, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, you're a teacher, you're a, you're a pastor, whatever. It's all ministry for the kingdom of God, every resource we have. So when the Lord moved me to QVC, I knew he was honing my craft. Not for one moment did I forget why I was there. And I watched so many celebrities and on-air talent kind of get a big head and start thinking, you're something, you know. For me, I, I it didn't matter what time, because we're on air 24-7, doesn't matter what time of the day or night, it's live. Now they have other channels, so it's not always live, but main channel is live. And I would pray 3 a.m., didn't matter what time I was in my car, I'd be praying and saying, Abba, use me today. Use me in the, in the green room. Use me in the makeup chair. God, use me as light and salt. Genuinely, not just a nice idea, but genuinely show me how to speak into this industry with great love, not being weird, not pushing Jesus, but loving people where they are and meeting them where they are for you. And I'm telling you, models, I prayed with models over my tent. In fact, I still have people in my life, online especially, who are there. Uh, one very well-known host came to me one day, for example, at the, at the uh, operations desk and said, hey, I hear you're a Christian. I said, yes, I am. I hear you go to this church, this particular Church of the Savior. I said, I do. She said, can you help me learn to walk with God? I said, I can. And that woman I mentored for years, she came to know. She had actually prayed to receive Christ, but no one had then discipled her. So she was around my table for many meals and, and many other people that people know all the time, those, those uh, on-air spokespeople that, and, and really celebrities that people know. I still am sort of their pastor in many ways. I've shown up at the hospital for their sick children and they've come to Bible studies that I've taught and just things like that over the years. So I was doing all of that while I was working at QVC. And when our younger son, Aaron, was a senior in high school, I knew that I was gonna have more time on my hands because I'd be an empty nester. So I remember um, there were three times in that year, I, I was looking to go back to school, grad school, but I wasn't sure, do I stay in style? And I was looking at Parsons Institute and, and FIT in New York, you know, do I do a, a master's degree in, in fashion? Because there were people I was talking to about really just kind of blowing up the career now because I would have this extra time. And I remember this one time we were at Wheaton College in Chicago and my son was looking at Wheaton and I remember going into the vestibule and just holding my arms. I was reading like a Jim Elliott quote and uh, I don't remember what the quote is, but it was something about using your whole life for God, which is all I've ever wanted to do. And I remember holding my arms wide out and tears streaming down my face and just saying, God, what are we going to do with the next chapter of this one life? Like I am all in for the kingdom and I don't have anything holding me back. And I just begged God, spend me, just spend me. I stood there and I sensed God saying, child, you are a preacher. You are a speaker. I have trained you in communication, go. 
And I checked in with my dear, our dearest friends, my one girlfriend who's amazing, sent, wrote it like this. She was like, are you ready to receive what we have all been seeing? And we affirm. And uh, I said, what do I do? With tears in my eyes, go to seminary, which of course you don't need to do. But I knew for the rest of my life, all I wanted to do was communicate the love of God to the world. And so I started this ministry. I went to seminary, graduated about four years ago, my master's in theology. And my eye was on starting this ministry, which I call Nancy Hicks Live. And the live part is for many reasons. Um, And so all I do now is speak, teach. And then what I do is all the money that I get from anything I do in North America, I pour back into the ministry to get me to the majority world church. Because when I was in seminary, All the recent textbooks are telling us about what's happening around the world in terms of Asia and um, and Africa and South America and the gospel burgeoning like never before in history. So I say, God, help me. I want to get me there to raise up the women. So when I go to these places, still the women are, though they're the workhorses in the church in many situations, they're still not getting the biblical and leadership training. So I get to go to these different nations. I've been to India and Haiti and the Philippines and um, other other countries. Um, and I've got some on the on the docket for next year. But I go there to target the female leaders and raise them up for the kingdom with the book, Meant to Live. I, I said a call to the to the church in North America to snap out of it, like, come on. Like, let's wake up and let's get back to stop being divisive and picking at each other and, and, you know, majoring on the minors and let's get back to the core of the gospel. And I think there is no substitute for an authentic relationship, which takes time, with God. And even in right now, I'm going through a hard time in my life. I adore my boys and my son, David, who's 26, was uh, diagnosed with stage 3C uh, colon cancer. The life God calls us to is either true in the darkness and true in the hard places for me and for others. I want to help others with this. Or it's not true at all. The only way I know to get back to life in the core of the gospel through all of it is there is no substitute. It's going back to, wait a minute, (laughs) what again is the gospel? Who's Jesus? Who is God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? Who is this God who calls us to life? And there is no substitute. There's no shortcut. So (laughs) I think, you know, you go back to the basics. You go back to what does my prayer life look like? I'm not checking a box. I'm sitting before the living God who is my counselor (laughs) and my everything, my leader. And so I think really being able to sit with God in quietness. In fact, as I read Sarah's devotional, her original, which was given to me, by the way, by a good friend who was working on the ministry with me, and she was one of the leaders that was raised in one of my Bible classes, She gave this as a gift to me. And one of the things that strikes me that I find particular, and I think why it's been so incredibly popular and well-received, is because it's personal. It's a gentle, caring, loving voice that comes through the text. This is the one that, it's April 17th, and it says this, I'm training you in steadiness. 
Too many things interrupt your awareness of me. I know that you live in a world of sight and sound, but you must not be a slave to those stimuli. And can't we though, right? Um, awareness of me can continue in all circumstances, no matter what happens. This is the steadiness I desire for you. Don't let unexpected events throw you off course. Rather, respond calmly and confidently, remembering that I am with you. As soon as something grabs your attention, talk with me about it. Thus, I share your joys and your problems. I help you cope with whatever is before you. This is how I live in you and work through you. This is the way of peace. I tell you, and it makes me think of a couple of passages, Exodus 33, where Moses is speaking to God and he's like, ah, how do I know you're going to be with me? And God says to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. That's not rest like the good night's sleep. It's stability and a confidence in who God is and who we are in light of who God is. I am fierce about the name of the Lord. I am fierce about people coming alive. And so when I see people wounded on the sidelines or walking away, that doesn't make me feel like, yeah, let's just pack it in. It makes me go, no, this is not the living God. This is not the message of the scriptures. And this is a battle. And what did we think it was gonna look like when Jesus said, it's gonna be tough. Uh, you know, take heart, I've overcome the world. What exactly were we thinking that would, should look like? So it doesn't make me, and I'm not in any way saying, I don't sob on the floor, by the way, at times, but I get up in power, in resurrection power. And, you know, the word of the Lord says, be strong and do the work. To learn more about Nancy's ministry or her book, Meant to Live, visit nancyhickslive.com. If you'd like to hear more stories about how God can move us into new places, check out our interview with Nona Jones at jesuscalling.com slash podcast. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we speak with husband and wife ministry team, John and Stacy Eldridge. Over the years in their ministry, John and Stacy have had countless people come to them confused about the purpose of their Christian journey. The invitation of Christianity is not to be a moral person. Jesus didn't move heaven and earth so that we would be good boys and girls. The goal of Christianity is restoration. That's why Jesus came, to give us back our hearts and then to release us to be the men and women that he created us to be. Do you love hearing these stories of faith weekly from people like you whose lives have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling Stories of Faith podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review so that we can reach others with these inspirational stories. And you can also see these interviews on video as part of our original web series with a new interview premiering every other Sunday on Facebook Live. Find previously broadcast interviews on our YouTube channel on IGTV or on JesusCalling.com slash video.